Hello and welcome to the Golf Hall Podcast, a show all about education and inclusion. I'm Richard Ingram. Throughout this series, we've been talking all about the key players involved in the process of ensuring inclusive education. This has included researchers, ministry staff, systems experts, and educationalists. We haven't really covered non-governmental organisations or NGOs so far, something that I plan on rectifying today. Sightsavers is an international NGO with a huge stake in the inclusive education game. The organisation's vision is of a world where no one is blind from avoidable causes and where people with disabilities can participate equally in society, very much up the street of the Goal 4 podcast. Joining me today is Lisbeth Rulvink, Deputy Technical Director at Sightsavers. Lisbeth is responsible for leading on strategic direction and technical approaches of the organization's global inclusive education portfolio in 14 countries in Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Her areas of expertise include system transformation, building partnerships, rights and evidence-based programming, participatory leadership and project management, access and quality of basic education, and capacity building and empowerment. I've been lucky enough to work with Lisbeth on a number of occasions, and it's my pleasure to have her on the show today. Lisbeth Rovink, welcome to Golf 4. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. It's fantastic to have you on the show. I wanted to start off by talking about Sightsavers. Can you tell me a little bit about the organisation, as well as everyone else? I'm sure I first see it, and I think it's something to do with vision and vision impairment, but it's it's a lot more than that, isn't it? It is. Uh, thank you for asking that question. I'm, ha- I'm happy to explain it a bit more. Uh, Sightsavers is a global organization and we want to prevent avoidable blindness, hence our name. But we also support the empowerment of people with disabilities to participate equally in society. So that is the two drivers for us. Prevent avoidable blindness and support the empowerment of people with disabilities to basically promote disability rights. And we've been doing this work for over 70 years now, and we're currently working in uh, about 30 countries in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Our global office is in the UK, and we have around 800 staff spread out over different parts of the world. So it's quite a quite a large uh, organization, which not always people uh, know from us. So um, what we do uh, in terms of working to promote disability rights is uh, basically centered around three core areas. Our our whole program is um, centered around three core areas. And the first one is obviously protecting sight, as our name indicates. But we also have a strong focus on fighting disease more broadly. And this is focused around uh, neglected tropical diseases. And then the last core area for us is disability rights, which is obviously um, the most relevant for our conversation today. Um, We promote equal opportunities and we advocate for disability rights, basically so that everyone has a chance to receive an education and earn a living. So being active participants in society. Um, I'm also very proud to say that Sightsavers is a disability confident employer. Um, obviously driven by our mission, we strive to be an inclusive organization and uh, we promote actively promote disability uh, um, inclusion in our organization and promote diversity in the workplace. So uh, we have received level three accreditation from the Disability Confident 
employer system. And that means that we have received the highest level, which we are obviously very happy with. And uh, now it's a challenge to maintain that and to keep expanding and making sure that our employ uh, employees feel included, can do their work and are welcome in our organization. Wow, fantastic. Other companies take note. That's uh, you're setting yeah, setting the exactly. bar, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so interesting. And out of the 800 of people that, that work there, tell me a little bit about your role. You're based at the head office, um, but do you travel a bit as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm working uh, from the global team and I'm based in the Netherlands. Um, and just to explain, our work is organized around four thematic areas, social inclusion, education, eye health and reflective error and economic empowerment. So these four thematic areas are all led by a technical director and I'm one of them and I'm responsible for our education portfolio globally. Um, and that means that I have the responsibility leading the strategic direction of our education program and making sure that uh, we deliver on our strategy. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I'll come back to those uh, thematic areas in a moment. But what does a, what does a day look like for you there? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I would find it hard to describe a typical day <laughs> because it feels that no day is the same. And, and I have to say that I really like that, that diversity and that sometimes unpredictability. But um, I guess uh, the majority of my time I do spend uh, on teams like probably mo many of us coordinating internally to ensure that we deliver on the education strategy but um, also to work very closely with my education team and other teams in Sightsavers, like our policy and advocacy colleagues, our communication team, our research team, our MEL team, to make sure that we all um, are aligned in our approach and our thinking, that we deliver on the promises made in, in um, programs that we have at the moment in implementation, but also strategize for future programming, uh, developing uh, approaches and strategies to make sure that we uh, stay aligned with global priorities and the needs of the children and people we, uh, we aim to serve. So that's quite um, internally focused, but then obviously we also have uh, our country teams. We work in over 30 countries. So we have country teams in these countries and I work regularly with them. To, uh, to assess the current situation in the country, uh, where the needs are, but also where the opportunities may be, what support the disability community needs from us and our expertise that we can make available to support ministries of education to strengthen their systems and to make it more inclusive. So that's also an important part of my work. And then obviously overseeing implementation of current programming, but also doing the development of new projects and programs. So it's, it's quite diverse. It's a whole, whole range of different uh, things, which I really enjoy. And then in addition to that, I also find it very important to engage more globally and regionally um, in the education sector and, enjoy, and, and contributing to the dialogue about inclusive education, SDG4, the education crisis that we're currently facing. How can we all join efforts together to support the ministries of education that we're working with to make sure that we can deliver on SDG4. And I think it is now very clearly understood, I think especially around the Transforming Education Summit, that it is not possible to achieve SDG4 without addressing disability inclusion specifically. 
So um, in that sense, I feel also that we have a role to play, that we have added value to engage in those discussions. But also, I also make a very conscious commitment to make our expertise in disability inclusion available to the other players in the sector so that we can um, support and strengthen their efforts to make sure that a disability inclusion element is, is addressed uh, effectively. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned that uh, everyone can play a role in this because this is something we're going to come back to at the end of the show. But a little little teaser there. But before then, um, you mentioned your global thematic areas and you touched on some priorities. One particular priority we've spoken about is disability inclusive data systems and tools, and this is one of uh, SightSavers' cross cutting priorities. I just wondered if you could tell me a little bit about this. Why is data such a such an important focus here, and disability data in particular? Yeah, thanks, Richard. I think maybe we we can step back a little bit and um, talk a little bit more generically about the education strategy of SightSavers first, so that I frame it a little bit and why Good we plan. do that. Because um, yeah, data is an important element of it, but that's not obviously not the only thing we do. But uh, SightSavers has a comprehensive education strategy. Um, we have refreshed that strategy in 2021. And basically the strategy is driven by SDG 4. Um, our strategy commits clearly to ensuring that children with disabilities have equal opportunities to participate and succeed in quality education. And we do that through adopting a systems approach um, so that we can ensure that learning, uh, learning outcomes get improved and also promote the broader social inclusion of children with disabilities. And we work on three different levels, uh, the institutional level, obviously, at the national level, which provides the enabling environment with policies, financing data systems. So, and we talk about more in detail about that later. Um, the organizational level, which is more related to teacher professional development, capacity building, curriculum development, material development, student assessments, assistive devices, all those uh, different elements uh, from the system. And then obviously at the school and community level where the actual learning takes place, working with school leadership, with uh, school-based uh, management committees uh, so that we can work together on creating that inclusive and safe environment for learning. Uh, providing support to parents, uh, encouraging child participation, having specific approaches for that, uh, engaging the community and especially involving local OPDs and CSOs in our efforts so that we build really um, close-knit systems and strengthen the, um, the connection between different actors and different stakeholders. So that's in a nutshell what is drives that, that systems approach. And we all know that the education system is a very complex system and that we cannot do everything that makes up that system at once. So we have identified a number of key priorities, as you, as you mentioned earlier, because, um, yeah, as I say, we can't do it all at once. So we really have to focus on specific strategic priorities to maximize our impact. And uh, by doing that, we've engaged with different stakeholders at global level, but also at regional and national level to identify those. And um, basically, it's all driven by the global education crisis and the need to improve foundational skills, as well as learning outcomes. Um, 
just to also mention that what we do is very much pan disability, as you mentioned in the beginning, we are very much known for our efforts on uh, addressing um, the needs um, the, of, of people and children with visual impairments. But our education program is pan disability. So we do not only work for children with visual impairments, but support children with disabilities much more broadly. Um, then our education priorities for the coming years will be investments in ECDE, just to ensure, especially for children with um, in, um, disabilities, that we give that good foundation in life, that we support the holistic development of the child, and that they are therefore um, better prepared to enroll in the uh, former education system. But you know, the early years are very critical, obviously. So we are working hard to develop effective approaches to make sure that children with disabilities are guided in the, in the early years in their development. Um, then the second priority is more related to uh, teacher professional development. Obviously, teachers playing a very critical role in ensuring that um, children with disabilities do not uh, fall behind or um, are left out. So we do a lot on teacher training, on inclusive education, uh, both pre-service and in-service teacher training. And we want to, um, to focus on that and capitalize on all the things we have done over the years to come up with knowledge products that can be uh, offered to ministries of education or other stakeholders in the sector so that we can all work towards promoting disability inclusive education and helping teachers to get the knowledge and skills to really um, support the needs of children with disabilities uh, in a more effective way. Just to say, so I, I brought up data as one example, but that's just part of this huge web of all these other issues that are just all interconnected and all part of the exactly. same education system. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the, the third priority that we have is focused on student assessments. Because again, when you talk about systems and improving systems, learning outcomes is usually used broadly to assess how effective a system has been. We want to improve learning outcomes. It's very necessary to do that because they are not up to standard. But um, we have observed that most of the assessment tools that are being used are not disability inclusive. Mm -hmm. So there are no adaptations made for children with specific needs or specific uh, support needs that they may have. Therefore, they are, again, disadvantaged if testing takes place, that they are not accommodated, why not perform as well as they actually could if they were supported in, uh, in, in, in specific uh, provisions. It also affects the, the teaching, right, in the classroom, because if teachers have to, have to um, teach for a certain test, and yeah. uh, if they're sort of basing what happens in lessons on this, the assessment that's going to take place at the end of the year, yeah. and that assessment doesn't include children with disabilities, how does that match together? And then again, that's also coming back to data, right? If we then don't know how they perform, in a, and they are not tested in a fair way, we can't make a good assessment of what they need in terms of support. So, uh, so that's a very critical one for us. And then we have a number of uh, cross-cutting areas of focus, and that is obviously gender and disability in education, because um, it's, it's um, yeah, unfortunately, girls with disabilities, for example, are doubly disadvantaged because of their gender and their disability status. Um, then another area, cross-cutting area of focus is disability-inclusive data systems and tools. So we'll talk about that again in, uh, in a little later. 
And then also climate change, which is obviously an emerging area that um, everybody is now um, working on to um, formulate uh, responses so that we make sure that this does not impact education uh, and learning. But um, we would like to just, again, join those efforts specifically coming from a disability inclusive angle by ensuring that whatever uh, responses are being formulated and agreed upon now, um, that they uh, don't forget to also address the needs of children with disabilities in these efforts. And obviously there are a lot of learnings from COVID, for example, um, about you know, if there are emergencies or unpredicted uh, situations that disrupt the learning, then there are mechanisms in place to respond, but not always these uh, responses are then disability inclusive. So knowing that, I think we are now in a position that we can formulate responses so that you know, the, the systems that we are working with, ministries of education, are better prepared to have responses that also are disability inclusive. So that's an area we're very exciting, uh, excited about to explore further. The question is, how are we going to do that? We have these priorities, but uh, how are we going to uh, make sure that we deliver on those? Um, I think the main point and the main driver for us is that we commit to supporting ministries of education in their efforts to transform education um, and achieve SDG 4, we really want to make sure that no child is left behind, obviously, and that no harm is done. So um, that's the main drive. We will work closely with ministries of education based on our systems approach. But then um, it's also important that we align with specific priorities in country, because obviously, Every country has its own set of priorities, its own challenges. They are at different stages of development. So we very much obviously uh, work closely with ministries of education to align with their uh, education plans and their priorities. Um, in addition to that, we really uh, have adopted an evidence-informed approach. We do a lot of interesting innovative pilots in different countries that we then can bring to scale. So we've piloted a number of very interesting uh, innovations that have been tested and proven to work in specific contract texts that we now want to take to scale. So um, that is something that is um, based on our present and past work, obviously. And then um, for me, it is very important, as I said before, that we align and, 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 and participate in strategic global and regional networks so that we all join our efforts together because we are facing such big complex issues to make sure that we can deliver on SDG4 that we all need to just you know, join efforts and, and support each other in that to make sure that ministries of education can deliver on SDG4. So those partnerships um, for me is, is very important to maximize the impact of our work but also to contribute to those global efforts to promote inclusion. That's in a nutshell what, what Sightsavers uh, education strategy commits to and what we are uh, focused on in the coming years. But then obviously zooming into disability inclusive data systems and tools as one of those cross-cutting uh, priorities is I think a very important one because as everybody knows, there is a lack of reliable data on disability in education in most countries. There's no um, information available, very little. It's not collected systemically. Um, it's also very difficult to identify children with disabilities. There are no clear systems in place to do that. 
And then education planning, sector planning is becoming very challenging. And children um, that are not visible in, in data will also not be accounted for, will not be taken into account with planning for interventions and programs. So it is critical that we get better data and that we invest in disability disaggregated data systems. Because if we don't know where they are, what their specific needs are, we cannot develop um, effective responses. So that's something we are very strongly committed to. Uh, for example, in, uh, currently in Sierra Leone, we work with the Ministry of Education to uh, make that uh, EMA system disability inclusive. And that is in support of their radical inclusion policy, uh, which is a, is a great commitment to, uh, to inclusion, obviously. And um, Sight Savers is also working with, uh, at the global level, with the uh, Inclusive Data Charger, Charter. That's a global mechanism to mobilize inclusive data commitments and actions to make sure that no one is left behind. So um, we are at different levels promoting disability disaggregated data and better data systems to make sure that the group uh, of people with disabilities are more visible so that we can plan more um, based on, on, on their needs and be more effective in our responses. And I think one thing in education that is very needed is um, how do we identify the needs of children with disabilities in education? Because there's no one system in place and there is also not one specific tool that is being used. But um, what we have done is aligned with the Washington Group because that is, you know, a system that is developed and is tested in different places. Um, and that gives a very good framework for countries to identify children with functional difficulties. And in particular in education, we promote, uh, we have piloted and used the child functioning model in uh, module in different countries to understand if that is something that can be useful to be used in the school context and in the classroom. Also the teacher version, obviously, that is available so that we really help the teachers to identify what are the needs of the children so that they can uh, adapt their teaching accordingly. And I think those efforts are all still quite, um, not maybe completely harmonized globally, but I think uh, we are getting there. We are all collecting evidence and, and learnings from the different pilots that are taking place, not only by site savers, but also other organizations who do this. And I think eventually that will really help to come up with uh, solid approaches and responses to making sure that we understand better uh, what the needs of these children are, where they are, and that we can then collect data so that we can inform the system better. Yeah, and just for um, for those not aware, the, the functioning uh, model of data collection looks at how, I mean, losing the name really, looks at how children are known as a function in their in the classroom setting and at home rather than just describing labels to individuals right so rather yeah, than just exactly. saying this child is blind or this child has a vision impairment we're saying this child has difficulty reading certain text at a certain distance or something like that so it just makes it more easy to a identify and b it can actually be helpful for teachers and parents when they're looking That's at strategies to, to help the the children right that's yeah, and you, you move away from the labeling as well, right? We, it's, 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 yeah, because that can be quite damaging. Medical diagnosis, it? but it's just like we empower teachers to and parents to understand what, 
how, how does a child learn and, and, and how can we support that in the best way possible? And if we know that there is a functional difficulty, as we call it then, in, in the area of hearing or seeing or mm. moving or processing information, that's very critical information for a teacher without maybe knowing exactly what the medical diagnosis is of that problem or that difficulty, still it can inform the teacher to make sure that they take that into account when they are in the classroom and they're engaging with that student, that they know that there is a difficulty in that specific area. So they might just make very minor adaptations to meet the needs of that child yeah. in a more effective way. So I think it's a very helpful tool and it's quite comprehensive. So we, we piloted it in, um, in Nigeria in a number of schools and um, I expected that they would maybe find it too too detailed and maybe too time consuming, but um, the we we got really positive responses saying it's actually really helpful to understand how to how to observe a child and have a communication and, and a conversation about how do you operate and how do you how do you work how do you process things so that it is easier to uh, to support them better. I was surprised by that because I thought it might be just another extra pressure on, on the teacher, but they really, they found it really helpful. Um, and I think that is encouraging. So, um, well, it's also a, um, it's a bit of a, it's a mindset shift as well, right? Because you're, you're moving away from a medical diagnosis or yeah. a non-medical diagnosis, as is often the case, I suppose, to yeah. talking about child functioning. And really when you're talking about child functioning and difficulties in functioning, everyone has difficulties in functioning in some in some respect that's okay. that's moving away from saying this group of children are disabled or have a disability yeah. this group of children don't have a disability and it's moving on to say that you know everyone has some functional difficulties with some things and this yeah. is what we have to do to to um to teach different children in different ways yeah and i'm glad you said that as well because that brings me very nicely on to something I wanted to talk about as well, which is talking about disability inclusive education, which is quite common parlance. Uh, we, we, you've mentioned the phrase a lot and with, with the work at the, the World Bank I'm doing as well, the, the phrase is disability inclusion in education and, and at the UN, a lot of it's to do with disability inclusive education. And a lot of the, a lot of the language, particularly in SDG4, is all about inclusive education and disability isn't actually mentioned in, in SDG4. In some of the the targets, perhaps, but not in the main the main mm -hmm. uh, wording. Where do you see disability inclusive education fitting into this broader subject of inclusion and inclusion in education? And I think we've touched on it talking about this functioning as opposed to diagnosis and disability. But I want to hear your thoughts a bit on that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there is a uh, there is an ongoing debate, obviously, whether we uh, should talk more about inclusive education or specifically on disability inclusion. And I I'm not very outspoken about it. I think the bottom line for me is that it's important that all children can successfully participate in education. They all need to have a chance to develop their full potential, regardless of their gender, but also ethnicity, social economic status, and disability. Right, but um, if we look at the specific needs of children with disabilities, I think that is, they have very specific needs and need very specific support. So in that sense, it is important sometimes in discussions to emphasize what is required to deliver on disability inclusive education. So if we never label it as such, and we 
talk about disability, uh, sorry, about inclusive education more generically, this specific group of children with disabilities often overlooked. So uh, in that sense, I think, um, yes, we need to promote that every child can, can, support, uh, can be supported and learn um, in a mainstream school. But for children with disabilities, there are, are specific uh, requirements to actually make that work. I mean, to say that also, for example, children with a different mother tongue, they also need specific provisions to participate equally. But um, in general, I think this, yeah, children with disabilities need that additional support that the system needs to commit to. So um, therefore, I am a supporter of promoting that twin track approach like it is uh, well accepted everywhere so that we, you know, promote both system wide transformation to promote inclusion more broadly, but then also at the same time providing targeted support to learners with disabilities because at the moment that is not automatically there in schools so we need to invest in that and that requires specific investments resources budgets to actually do that to build capacities and um yeah establish an enabling environment for these children in schools so i think yeah there is um for me, it's like I'm, I'm pretty pragmatic. I think, yeah, we need to talk about we need to make sure that all children can go to school and learn. But um, the specific needs of children with disabilities need to be pointed out. And again, it's the same as with the data. If the data is not there, very unlikely that ministries of education automatically make provisions for these children if they don't know where they are. So if we know that there are a number of schools, for example, with children with a hearing impairment, then they can have targeted action and locate a teacher with that expertise in that school and deploy that person there rather than in a school where there are maybe a children with uh, visual impairments. So that data is very important and you can mobilize your resources accordingly as well. So, um, so in that sense, it is important that we sometimes uh, really highlight disability inclusive education because uh, otherwise it might just not be addressed appropriately and effectively. It's accepting that different people have different needs and different children learn in different ways. I, li I like the word you used. It's a pragmatic, <laughs> pragmatic view on this debate. <laughs> I, think, I think if if we manage to really promote inclusive education, you know, the whole wide spectrum, then and and I think the universal design for learning, for example, is very helpful in that context. If we are managed to train teachers to apply that, then we don't need to make all those differentiations anymore because then they automatically are aware of that and they are able to you know, deliver their teaching in very different ways so that it responds to the different learning needs that there are. But yeah, making sure that we are not there yet. So I think we, we still need to uh, focus uh, on disability inclusion as well as gender, unfortunately, because also you know, we have to make sure that systems are gender responsive, right? So, uh, and, and that there is equal representation and, and that there is, embracing that diversity also in in the materials that are used you know the language that is used so there is still a long way to go but um i think uh what i, I acknowledge that there are massive challenges in the education sector globally we all know the transforming education system was as um summit was really helpful to realign and get everybody back on board saying we must commit to improving education making investments there but the challenges are massive. But for me, the exciting 
part is that there is that renewed commitment. And um, I think there is this also increased awareness that SDG 4 cannot be achieved if we don't tackle that complex inclusion element. So that means that we have um, more ground to really commit and address this and come into action to make sure that we, yeah, that we respond to the needs of those children that are currently not included enough. Well, let's finish by talking about the Transforming Education Summit um, and specifically the call to action to ensure inclusive and equitable quality education. Would you just explain what the summit was? Where was it? What was it all about? And then perhaps we can talk a little bit about the call to action. And we'll put links in the in the show notes all about this, because this is something everyone can get involved in, right? Excellent. Yeah, thank you very much. It's good that you bring it up as the final point. <laughs> because uh, nobody, I think that sums it up nicely. I think uh, the Transforming Education Summit, for those who don't know, it was a UN initiative in 2022 or 2021. Sounds like it's a long time ago. 2021, I think at the end of 2021. Um where um, all the global players in education came together to raise the alarm and say, look, we are facing a serious education crisis. We must come up with responses to tackle these issues and make sure that we can deliver on SDG 4 by 2030. So um, there was a summit in uh, September in New York where all the world leaders came together, but also all the ministries of education had delegations uh, present to make commitments to education going forward. Obviously, now the challenge is to maintain that momentum and to also make uh, countries and global players accountable for the commitments that they made during that uh, summit. But there was a great energy to uh, renew that commitment to really mobilize more resources and more capacity to improve education globally. And um, as a response to that, or uh, during the summit, the civil society organizations led by uh, IDDC, IDA, and the Global Campaign for Education, they launched Disability Inclusive Education Call to Action to basically advocate for clear commitments that SDG 4 is implemented in an inclusive way. And that highlights specifically the disability inclusive element of it. So um, that was launched uh, more than a year ago. And uh, we now have almost 200 uh, signatures for the call. And that includes the World Bank, UNICEF, uh, UNGAI, um, the Minister of Education in Sierra Leone, um, David Senge is a champion. So there is really high level support, but we also encourage and invite um, listeners who feel called to do that, to really support this push for disability inclusion. And you can do that by signing this call to action. So um, I hope that we get even more signatories. That will be really I great. hope so. Well, links in the show notes. Elizabeth, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure as always to speak with you. Thanks for the opportunity, Richard. And I'm really, um, I really appreciate this series that you have initiated because it's really a nice way to engage with people in the sector to discuss the issues that we all face and the challenges that we have, but also to make sure that we can support each other. That was Lisbeth Ruling. 
My thanks to her for joining me today. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, tune in every Wednesday. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. It'd be great to hear from you. And spread the word. See you next week.